Hello, everyone, and welcome to Employment Notebook. In this localjobnetwork.com podcast, we explore all topics related to employment and the workplace. I'm your host, Jenna Konar, and today we're discussing what drives motivation at work. Now, you may have a vague understanding of what motivates you at work, but have you ever taken the time to delve more deeply into your specific motivators and how you can use them to your advantage in your career? To explore this topic more, I'm speaking today with Chester Elton. Chester is a leadership consultant, a motivation expert, co-author of the book, What Motivates Me? Put Your Passions to Work, and he's also the co-founder of The Culture Works, which is an international consulting and training company. Thanks so much for joining me today, Chester. Pleasure to be called. Thanks for, uh, thanks for thinking of me. I appreciate it. So let's start off by talking a little bit about your book, What Motivates Me? Could you tell me a little bit about the research that went into that book? Our work started off with how do you engage uh, employees at work and create a positive workplace environment through reward and recognition. You know, we wrote a book called The Carrot Principle. did very, very well. The, the simple premise that, you know, when, when somebody does something great in your organization, you recognize it and they'll do it again and, mm-hmm. and it, it drives engagement and so on. But it was really interesting as, as we started to work more intimately with companies and their leadership. We had a lot of interesting conversations with leaders and CEOs in particular that would say, yeah, no, the, the reward and recognition piece is clearly important. People need to be valued and appreciated. But if you don't get the culture right, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So we follow that up with a, a really in-depth research on what creates a high-performance culture. And we published the results in, in our book, All In. But then again, it was really interesting, you know, as you kind of go along this journey of what creates highly productive and, uh, and great workplaces is, it always came down to the people. Mm-hmm. Do you have the right people in the right places uh, following their passions? And that's what uh, led us to really take a look at motivation. And, you know, what made it fascinating for us is as we started to look into motivation, and it's such a huge topic, you know, like what motivates people, yeah. is we found it was, it was addressed in, in, in a really simplistic way, generally speaking. These few things motivate everybody, or this one thing never uh, motivates anybody. Or here are the Ten Commandments of Motivation. And we found that there wasn't a lot of really deep research around what are people's motivators at work. And that's what led us to, to, to go back and look at the research studies that we'd had before and, and look at new studies. And, and the database that we had available to us was 850,000 surveys uh, wow. in you know, uh, 13 different countries around the world. So it gave us a great premise to say, is there a, a, a more scientific way to look at this? Is there more of a research-based way to look at what motivates people at work? And and those were our drivers. And it was a fascinating journey for us. So as you kind of developed your research and you were discovering new things over the years, what were you able to determine about why employees are engaged or are not engaged at work? You know, the conference board has done some wonderful research around their engagement institute, you know, at Towers, Watson, Gallup, and so on. And all the indicators uh, particularly in American business, uh, point to a, a degenerating engagement scale, right? Mm-hmm. The engagement scores have, have, are, are sort of at all-time and historic lows. A couple of the ahas that we had in the research, though, is that about 60%, so more than half of employees, feel like they're in the right job, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's playing to their strengths that in an industry where, where, where they're interested and passionate, but not in their job. You know, there's something wrong in the job, whether it's the relationship with the, uh, with the immediate supervisor, the philosophy of the company, the region of the country they're in. 
And so that was really an interesting aha. Uh-huh. Most people feel like they're in the right job, but they're not engaged and passionate and really motivated about the work they do every day. So that was fascinating. Hmm, that is really interesting. So what were you able to discover as far as what are some common motivators for people? Is it just having the right boss, uh, having the right type of environment? What were some different motivators that people would point to? Sure. I mean, all of those are important, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what we really wanted to determine as a baseline is what are they? You know, uh, we had some great anecdotal conversations. You know, like it was very popular for a long time to say, Money never motivates anybody. You know, you've heard that, right? Yeah. Money's not a motivator. Well, you know, money's not a motivator if you've got it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, if you've got a lot of money, maybe it's not a motivator. But if you don't, it sure is. And that was one of the discoveries was, of course, money's a motivator, depending on where you are in your career. My mom had a great uh, saying. She used to say, well, people who say money can't buy happiness, you know, have no idea where to shop. That was a great, it gives you a little insight into my my mother's uh, modus of uh, happiness. (laughs) But the idea was, is first let's figure out what are the motivators. And so uh, we we did, we took a very stats and research-based approach. We hired the wonderful people uh, that that published uh, Emotional Intelligence 2.0, you know, Travis Bradbury and, and Gene Graves, because they had developed a wonderful tool in the back of their book on your, your EQ. You know, everybody knows what IQ is and and what your EQ is. And as we approached them, we said, you know, would there be a way for us to take a research-based view and survey, you know, thousands of people and really figure out what are the biggest motivators at work? Because I think Mm -hmm. as employees and as, as leaders in our own right, we need to understand what our motivators are first and foremost so that we can understand the motivators of the people that, that surround us. Right. Right. So that was, that was really uh, a lot of fun. And what we determined through, through these surveys and the research we did is that there are 23 uh, motivators at work that have any significance. Like if you were to get a bunch of people in the room and say, okay, well, let's list all the motivators we can think of, you, you know, you could probably come up with 100 or so. Mm-hmm. But again, those that are statistically valid, we came down to there were 23. And, and there are the motivators that you would guess would be on the list, you know, family mm-hmm. uh, or friendship challenging work, recognition, uh, money, you know, social responsibilities, and, and, and so on. That was really uh, helpful is to say, okay, if these are the 23, then, of course, what you want to know is which ones are, are the most significant for you. Mm-hmm. And this is where it really got fun because, you know, there's all kinds of profiles and surveys that you take. And I'm sure you've taken some. You've probably taken, like, the Myers-Briggs test. Mm-hmm. You've maybe taken the Strength Finders test, the Emotional Intelligence test. So the other question we had to answer is, why would people want to know this? You know, how does it fit into developing your career? And this is where we we had a very simple Venn diagram. We said, look, personality profile is really important because that tells you who you are and you should know Mm -hmm. that, right? Strengths and so on, clearly important. What am I really good at? You know, uh, we tend to gravitate to to work that we're proficient at. But then when you overlay uh, motivators, so personality test is who I am. Strengths is, is what I'm good at. Motivators is what I'm passionate about. And different than the other two that I, I think are fairly stable. You know, what you're good at is pretty much what you're good at from an early age and, and you, you continue to work at that and get better. Personalities are pretty much set by the time you're five or six years old. But motivators change. And so as we looked at those 23 motivators, uh, it was very apparent that what motivated you when you're in college or university is probably a lot different than the motivators you have, you know, 
early in your career, middle or end of your career, or, or, or when you get married or have children or mm-hmm. have grandchildren. And so it's a, it's a bit of a moving target. And that became really interesting as well to see how people's motivators evolve over their careers. Kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it's really interesting. So as people are aging, you said that their, their motivation is going to change. And maybe they've thought about this vaguely, what motivates them. But how can they specifically know that something is a motivator for them? Are there certain signs that they should look for? Yeah, I mean, there are sort of life events mm-hmm. that cause you to realign your motivators and, and your priorities, right? You have a baby's born. That's going to realign your priorities mm-hmm. and, and your time and your sleep schedule mm-hmm. <laughs> for those of us that have had kids. You know, someone uh, near and dear to you passes away. You have a significant health event. There's a, a heart attack or perhaps you've, you've, you've had uh, uh, some personal health problems. You've developed uh, asthma or diabetes or, or whatever. Those tend to align. So you need to be sensitive to those life events. But one of the things that we loved about working with um, Travis Bradbury and, and Gene Graves was to develop a tool so that people can, can go ahead and check and find out. Surveying philosophy and, and, and methodology has gotten very sophisticated. Yeah. And so what we loved was to be able to provide a tool in the book that would allow you to go online and take an assessment, and then it spits out, here are your 23 motivators in order of their impact on you. And we found that the, that the first seven have high impact, the next seven are moderate, and the, and, and the other nine are, are, are fairly neutral. So that gives you a sense of, you know, what really motivates you and, and, and where your priorities uh, are in your life at this moment, mm-hmm. not what they used to be, not what you think they should be, or not what other people, what you think other people perceive your motivators to be. But what are they? You know, what are they? And what are they right, right now, which is key. So once you've discovered this, maybe you've taken the self-exam or self-assessment, and you've discovered your sources of motivation, how can you then translate that into your career? Well, see, that's where the value really comes in. Mm-hmm. So as we looked at these 23 motivators, we said, well, that's a lot. And it, it did reinforce our, our theory that we are a lot more unique than most motivator philosophies give us credit for, right? Mm-hmm. Our DNA is, is, is really unique. In fact, the odds of you and I having the same top five motivators in the same order is one in 100,000, mm-hmm. okay? So we are unique. And, and as we looked at the, the motivators, 23 is a lot to keep track of, even if you break it down and say, well, the seven are significant and you know, seven are, are moderate and the, the other nine are fairly neutral. What we noticed is there were clusters of motivators that clustered around what we uh, came, come to be known as identities. And we found that there were five really basic motivational identities. And in, you know, in alphabetical order, they were you were an, an achiever, you, know, you were a builder, you were a caregiver you were rewards-driven, or you were a thinker. Hmm. And so that helps to simplify and give you a little uh, better application. If you know that your, your number one identity, for example, that you're reward-driven, but the people around you are more thinkers or are more caregivers, it's going to give you a, a really important insight on how you interact with them. And, and if they understand what yours are, how they should interact with you. And that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. So would you have an example maybe of someone that you know, or maybe it was someone who was included in your research that was able to successfully apply this knowledge? They, they were able to successfully identify their motivator, and then this, of course, impacted their career. 
Oh, sure. You know, I'll use the example of me and Adrian, you know, okay. my co-author, which was fascinating. I mean, we've known each other for, you know, almost 20 years now. We've written 10 books together and we've become, you know, great and fast friends. But it's really interesting. We are very different in our motivators. For example, my uh, number one motivator identity is I'm a caregiver. Okay. Now, it wasn't always that way. I was very much reward-driven and, 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 and an achiever early in my career, as, as I think most ambitious people will tend to be. But, you know, my, my children have gotten older and, and, and moved out, and my wife and I are doing a lot more philanthropy work and working with inner-city kids and so on. And, and our, my motivator has changed fairly dramatically to become a caregiver. Adrian is very much a thinker. So, you know, he, he likes autonomy. He likes a challenge. He likes to be continually learning. He doesn't like a lot of bureaucracy and so on. Well, as we looked at our, our, our specific motivators, for me, money as a motivator was like number 23. Okay. Money for Adrian is in his top seven. So it's really important. And we grew up in different economic situations. Uh, I'm a little older than Adrian and, mm -hmm. and so on. So a very specific example is we were working with a client and we said, hey, you know what would be really great is if they would allow us to bring some cameras in and videotape this particular situation. We could create a little teaching module around it. It would really be great. Let's, let's talk to some videographers and see if we can get that done. And Adrian says, great, let's, uh, let's put it out to bid. And, and I said, well, well why would we uh, put it out to bid? We've worked with Christopher King, who we really like, who does mm -hmm. great work for us. And uh, plus, you know, he's become a friend. See, my number one motivator is friendship. Right. Mm -hmm. And so he says, well, that's your problem. You just want to work with your friends all the time. <laughs> you know, and I said, well, you know, if they're good. Mm -hmm. And he says, well, how do we know we're getting a good price? I said, well, because he's our friend. You know, friends don't tend to rip off friends. Well, so as the conversation went back and forth, when you realize that, you know, this is now a money motivator. Mm -hmm. So the resolution was, I said, well, look, why don't we do this? Why don't you go ahead and put it out to bid? We'll get two or three bids on the project and then we'll give the the lowest bid to Chris. And if he can come anywhere close, we'll hire Chris. He says, okay, that'd be great. <laughs> you know, so then we, we both we both got what we wanted, right? We, we knew we got a fair and good price, and we got to work with people that we know and like. So that's, a, that's you know, a simple example, but obviously a really poignant one. You can see how if we had both really stuck to our guns and said, look, I like Chris, we're hiring Chris. And Adrian said, well, you're being frivolous with our money. It could cause real tension and real anxiety and, and, and damage our working relationship. Whereas when we know that, you can come to an easy compromise. So I, I you know, for us, it was a great eye opener to say, huh, that really is more important to you than it is to me, you know? And it, it's just made our working relationship so much uh, more healthy and so much more productive. So we've been looking at it from mainly the employee's perspective as far as determining what your motivators are and applying those in your workplace. Just to flip sides, I wanted to briefly just talk about the uh, the employer's perspective. I wondered if you if you had an opinion on whether American businesses have been doing a good job of fostering their employees' motivation or maybe a poor job. And is this even their job at all? Is it should it be the employee's sole responsibility to be motivating themselves? Well, you know, this is one of the myths that we kind of dispel. And that is that people say, well, managers can't motivate people. They, people have to be self-motivated. And nothing could be further from the truth. The biggest impact on engagement, morale, and motivation in the workplace is the relationship an employee has with their immediate supervisor. So and, and when you think back on your career, I'm, I'm sure you can think of great leaders and great supervisors that you had. Mm -hmm. And when you think about how they interacted with you and how they motivated you and how they valued you, 
it's obviously the polar opposite of those leaders that you had that were terrible managers. Mm-hmm. Clearly, there is a big impact. It's everybody's responsibility to be productive, right? And the more information we have, the better we can lead. And good leaders understand that, that, that it's not one size fits all. I, I know sports analogies are overused, but you can see, you know, great coaches don't treat all their players the same. I've um, worked with these kids in, uh, in East Orange, and one of our kids is, is, is quite a gifted talent uh, basketball player. And I love watching their coach, the way he works the team. There are some players that he can just absolutely get in their face, and he can rant and rail and go nose-to-nose screaming at them. <laughs> and that's what works for those kids. But there are other kids on the team where you see he would never do that. Because if he did, he would destroy that kid. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. There are some kids where it's all carrots, and there are other kids where it's all sticks. Mm-hmm. Right? And then you've got the kids that are, that are in between. And that's why we really feel like from a leadership standpoint, if I really understand what your motivators are and your identities, I'm going to be much better equipped to get the best out of you and make the workplace environment as engaging and as fun and as productive as possible. Because here's the other data point that that I love that we came across in our studies. And this was a a study done at the University of Washington, is that people that are happily engaged at work, not only are they more productive, are they they more loyal, and do they, you know, earn higher incomes and so on, but they're 150% more likely to be happy in their personal lives. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. When we're happy at work, we're more likely to be happy at home. And that's where, you know, we're very passionate about the workplace and that if we can help create better workplaces, it will also create, you know, a better and more engaging personal life. So as we look up to wrap up the show, I wanted to give you the floor just at the end here to give our listeners any final bits of advice that you might have. Maybe it's something we touched on briefly or something we didn't cover yet. But as far as determining your motivators and applying that to your career, what final advice would you like to give? Well, as much as possible, you know, you need to align your work with your passions. And when that happens, all kinds of good things happen. You become a better coworker, you become a better employee, you become a better leader. You know, good companies can tell you what they do and how they do it. But great companies understand the why. Hmm. And the why to me is the emotional engagement. The why to me is, do we have the right people in the right places with the right motivation? You know, are they passionate about what they do? And I think it's one of the few differentiators left in in the workplace is that when you've got passionate people, you create a great culture. People can replicate your, your, you know, your products, your services, your pricing, your commission scales, even the, the look and feel of your buildings, but they can't replicate your culture and they certainly can't replicate your passion. And that's what the really good companies understand is, yeah, you've got to have a great product. It's got to be priced fairly. You've got to have good distribution and, and on and on and on. But then what is the differentiator? And it's going to be your people. The customer experience is never going to exceed the employee experience. So you've got to create as good of an employee experience as possible. And understanding their motivators and their identities goes a long way to make sure you've got the right fit. And then just in closing, you know, that last little data point about as leaders, as we create better places to work, we're just going to create better personal lives for our people. They're going to go home and and share positive things with their families instead of negative things. And it helps build better communities, better families, and just uh, better places to live. And and that's why we're so passionate about about what we do is the ripple effect Mm -hmm. is enormous. And good companies understand it. And and to your point earlier, do American businesses understand it? No, not, not as well as they should. The good companies do, and they tend to get better and differentiate themselves. The companies that don't get it, don't get it. And those are the ones that struggle. So 
with any kind of luck, you know, our little session here is, is, is going to help people understand, look, if I align my motivators with what I'm doing and I'm passionate at work, everything else gets better. And with that last bit of advice, we will wrap up the show. You've been listening to our guest, Chester Elton, discuss strategies for determining your motivators at work. Thanks for sharing your advice with us today, Chester. Yeah, no, listen, thanks for the call. We're, we're passionate about what we do, and clearly you're passionate about what you do too. So hopefully this is helpful to people out there. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, send an email to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com or reach out to us on Twitter under at the LJN. For all of us here at LJN Radio, I'm Jenna Konar, and thanks for joining us. 